In AD 325, so 325 years after roughly the birth of Christ, there was a group of church leaders who, melt, who met together at what was called the Council of Nicaea. And at the Council of Nicaea, they had many important things to discuss, but one of the most important things was the teaching of a man by the name of Arius. Arius and many of his followers were teaching something that seemed out of place to a lot of the Christians. They were teaching that Jesus Christ was amazing. He is the Savior. He is spectacular, but he is not equal to God. They taught that Jesus Christ was was created first, and then through Jesus, everything else was made. But that means that Jesus is not eternal. He's not co-equal to God. Now, some of you may think, why, why, this is an interesting history lesson here, but why are we talking about this today? There's an interesting tie-in to something that's coming up very soon. And, and I should preface this by saying, since this is so long ago, there are a lot of stories that come out of these time periods and these meetings, and it's sometimes hard to discern which of them are true or not. The story I'm about to share with you is one such story. It's hard to verify. But I want to say, I hope it's true, because I really like it. While Arius was explaining his position to the council, while he was going on and on and on about his beliefs, why why Christ was less than God, which of course was horrible to the Christians that were there, because they said, if Christ is not equal to God, he is in no way qualified to offer salvation. And so Arius is going on and on. And while he was doing this, a bishop from Myra in southern Turkey got up. And he had had enough. And this bishop walked across the room wherever they were meeting and he struck Arius in the face. Because he could not stand what he was saying. Now, I'm not here to condone striking someone in the face. He later, according to the same stories, came back and apologized to the council and even to Arius himself, although he did not in any way, shape, or form agree with what Arius was saying. The story says that this bishop was a man by the name of Nicholas. You may know him by another name. He is the historic Saint Nick, the man from whom many of the stories surrounding a figure that we associate, unfortunately, with Christmas today. I like that. I like a Saint Nick that stands up to a heretic. I like a Saint Nick that would say to somebody that was diminishing Jesus Christ, shut your mouth. I don't want to hear from you anymore. It's not quite the picture. You know, the stories of St. Nicholas and Santa Claus, there's a lot of different stories. We can't verify all of them. But for some reason, this one I've always found is left out. And I think that's unfortunate. Because I would like to teach my children about a St. Nicholas who stood up for Jesus Christ. Because if Christ is not truly God, if Christ is not who the Bible says he is, then we are not saved. We are left in our sin. We are left to our own devices to try to overcome our sin. We need one who is Emmanuel, God with us, to come and save us. I think the Apostle Paul would have really liked St. Nicholas. I think those two would have hit it off quite well. Both were very bold for Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul writes this, 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In January, we're going to start a sermon series on 1 Corinthians. And it is a book in the Bible that is written to a church that was really, really messed up. Now, that's not why we're doing the sermon series on 1 Corinthians. I'm not saying that we're a messed up church. But what Paul does and what God does through Paul in the writing of that book is to take this messed up church and all of their ideas and all their pride and their arrogance and all these teachers that were coming through teaching, you have to follow me because I know the better way. Christ says, look, all we got to do is look at Jesus Christ. Let's forget everything else. Let's look to Jesus Christ. Paul says it's all about him. So the baby born in the manger becomes the central focus of the Apostle Paul's life. And he became, I believe also, the central focus of St. Nicholas. And has been at the center of the church. Without Christ, without that baby in the manger, we are a bunch of fools for gathering here today. If Jesus has not come, God with us. So that's what I want to talk about today as we conclude uh, after 10 weeks, we've been talking about so great a salvation. We've looked at many different things. What does it mean that we're justified by Christ, sanctified by Christ? Last week, we, we looked at what does it mean that we're this new group of people called the church in Christ? What does that mean? And if you've missed the series, it's all online. I, I, I hope you can uh, catch up on it if you so desire. But today, I think it is a fitting close to look at so great a Savior. Because really, salvation is ultimately all about Jesus Christ. So if you're following along in your notes, you'll see I just have two points. We're going to try and be brief today uh, because there's a lot going on and I've got a house to clean. And uh, by that, uh, I mean sit and watch my wife clean it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm sorry, that was rude. We, we actually get our kids to do it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to report that the, the, uh, the house is clean. So come on over. I want to talk about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we sing all these songs about a baby born in a manger. We have our our nativity scenes, and there's that cute little baby in the manger, and he's so precious. And, you know, our little Ainsley, our our one-year-old, I guess about one and a half now, it's one of the words she knows, baby, baby. And she'll see a picture of baby Jesus or see that little baby in the manger, baby, baby. It is a baby, cute little baby. But so much more than just a baby. Matthew 1.23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that for a moment. Think about yourself and your life. Now, I know sometimes we would like to think much of ourselves, but I think if we're honest, there's a lot in our own hearts and our own minds and in our memories and our thoughts that we think, boy, I hope nobody ever sees that part of me. And when it comes out, we feel ashamed that we've treated certain people a certain way or that we slipped up in certain ways. Now take that and put that on God. And so many people look at God and say, why would God want me? 
Why would he care about me? Maybe that's you here today. And I want you to remember that name for Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, some say that Jesus never claimed to be God. I find that interesting when I look at Scripture. When we look at John chapter 8, verses 58 to 59, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, leaders, and he says this, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And the next verse says that this, They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And we today, as modern readers, we look at that, and we say, well, wait a minute, Jesus didn't come right out and say, Hey guys, I'm God, you know, you better bow down and worship me. I would say he said something much greater even than that. You see, it doesn't make sense. Think about the language. If I was saying this, which would be absolute heresy, but if I was, I would say, hey, before Abraham came, your forefather, you know this great guy that you look up to, before he came, I was. Right? Isn't that proper grammar? We're talking about something in the past. But Jesus specifically says, I am. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God had revealed himself to his people through a name that was so sacred that even many Jewish people today will not utter the word. So much so that we've lost how to pronounce the word in English and even in Jewish. We're not really sure in Hebrew how to say this word. We, you, may know it today as the word Yahweh. Some of you have heard Jehovah. And we have sent scholars many cents have decided that Jehovah was probably an improper pronunciation of it, but we're not really sure. Because it was the holy name of God that he revealed to Moses. It was a name that meant, I will always keep my covenants. I will always follow through. And at its core, it literally means, I am. And it was God's way of saying, look, when you want to introduce yourself to somebody, you'll say, well, I'm from Rochester. I'm the son of so-and-so. I work at this certain place. And they can put all these things about you together to say, okay, this is who you are. When God comes to Moses, he wants to make, or to Abraham, he wants to make it abundantly clear, I don't depend on any of my relationships for who I am. I don't depend on you. I don't depend on history. I depend on nothing. I depend on myself. I am. And so when Jesus says this, he is saying, before Abraham was born, I am. He is equating himself with God. And you might be saying, Pastor Dave, come on. You're really reading into this. You're looking at this far too deeply. That's just not there. What do the Jewish leaders do in the next verse? They pick up stones to stone him to throw the stones at him until he is dead. Why? Because that is the punishment in the Old Testament for blasphemy, for equating oneself with God, or anything that is less than God with God. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was claiming to be God. I am an Emmanuel, God with us. What about us? Romans 10.9 says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to proclaim with our mouths that Jesus is Lord? Some people say, well, it means giving God total authority over your life. And that's true. Some people say it's recognizing his authority, saying that you'll follow him, that you'll bow in his presence. Yeah, I think that's true too. But I think it's more than that. You see, There's a translation into Greek of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. 
So it's the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, right? Do you know what word they use to translate the Old Testament word of Yahweh? Lord. Now, this becomes difficult because that word Lord was used in many other different circumstances. It doesn't always mean the very name of God. However, when we look at this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe what that is saying is very clear. We need to believe that Jesus is Emmanuel. Exactly who the prophet said he was going to be. Exactly what was proclaimed at his birth. He is God with us. This is more than just giving him lordship of our life. It is certainly not less than that, but it is more than that. It is recognizing that baby in the manger is Lord of heaven and earth. The God who spoke the stars into existence. The God who holds all of eternity, all of our lives in the palm of his hand. He is Lord. Throughout the series, we've been using this illustration in various forms. In its simplest form, it's often known as the bridge illustration. We were created to be in a perfect, wonderful, life-giving, enjoying, joyous relationship with God our Father. We were created that way in the Garden of Eden to be with Him, to spend time with Him, to reflect His glory. We are created in His image. To stand in his very presence, not only unafraid, but rejoicing and enjoying that relationship with God. And yet, Adam and Eve went their own way. They said, thank you God, but, but we're going to do our own thing. We know you said not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we're going to do it anyway. And by so doing, they didn't just break one command. They set all of humanity on a course of rebellion against God. And so this perfect picture of this unity between God and us and this fellowship that he made us for was broken and an unbridgeable gap formed between us and God. God, the author of life, the source of all true love and hope, and us away from him. It is a dismal picture. And we've looked at it several times and how Christ came to solve that picture. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to this concept of Emmanuel. Here we are separated from God. No hope of crossing this gulf. I've used the illustration before. It'd be like us lining up at Lake Ontario and trying to jump to Canada. Some of us might get farther than others. Nobody's making it across. That's what it is when we seek our own righteousness, our own holiness, our own you know, rule-abiding lives to get to God. The people that say, well, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to look at my life and say, well, you're basically a good person. Well, you know what? You jumped a few feet farther than everybody else. Good job. But did you make it to Canada? No way. The gulf is too big. It is too big for us to cross on our own. And so God did something we could not. Since we could not come to be with God, because we were in rebellion, God came to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to dwell on that this Christmas. You have a God who loves you so much. He was willing to cross heaven and earth to enter into our sinful humanity, to be touched by sickness and and hurts 
to struggle walking and living in, in among the poor and in the struggles of humanity to go through many of the same things we go through yet was without sin. That's the God that you have. That's the God that I have. The God who loves us so much, he would come and be with us. For many, Christmas is a time of feeling alone. Sometimes it brings up times of betrayal or struggles among family members. And I want you to remember, whatever the struggle is you are going through, you have Emmanuel, the one who crossed the great divide, to come and be with you. But he's more. It seems foolish to say that he's more than that, but he is. Because Jesus is not only God with us, he is a new beginning for us. You see, we were created for this special relationship with God. Genesis 1.26 says we were created in the image of God. And like we've talked about before, there's so many things we could, we could unpack in that phrase, the image of God. But at its very basic level, it means that us, separate from all creation, we can have a special relationship with God. There's something about who God is and how he made us to be that we reflect him. We live in a special relationship with him. We are to stand in his glory, reflect his glory back. It's what we're made for. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life? I hope you have. When you're just doing something. You know, I think of chariots of fire, right? When the guy's running and he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Is that something like that? I've never actually seen the movie, but I've heard it's really good. I hope you've had times like that in your life where there's just something you're doing and you kind of step back and you think, man, this is just, this is what I was made for. There's a joy there that's often not present in other moments of our life. Can I tell you right now, you were made to reflect the glory of God. You were made to stand in his presence, unashamed, unafraid. And our sin has messed that up. Yet God has sent his son to be with us. We were made in God's image. Yet in Genesis 5.3, after Adam and Eve fall into sin, there's one of these lists, right? So if you're reading through the Bible, it's one of those passages you might be tempted to kind of skip over. You know, so-and-so had a son, and that son had a son, and so on and so forth. But at the beginning of this list in Genesis 5, in verse 3, it says, Adam had a son in his own image, in his own likeness. And the point, I believe, is horribly clear. We were created in the image of God. And yet, now that we are separated from him, every descendant of Adam is born into that separated state. And now, instead of perfectly reflecting the image of God and his glory and his righteousness, we reflect an image of sin and struggle and in death. So, how does Jesus provide a new way? 1 Corinthians 15.49 says this, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, the image of Adam and his sin, just as that is true of us, he says, Now in Christ, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Think what that means for a second. In this world separated from God, let me see if I can put this back up. Oh, nope, not there. Don't look at that. I'm pointing it back here like it's up there. It's not. Go back. There we go. Okay. In our sin, separated from God, here we are. 
And we're reflecting the image of our father, Adam. And so God came into that situation in Jesus Christ. And you know, throughout Scripture, it talks about Jesus as the perfect image of God. And, and throughout my theological studies, I always studied that as saying, well, Jesus is equal to God. And that's true. We covered that already. That he's the perfect represent, representation of God. That's true. Absolutely true. But as I studied for this over the past week or so, something new struck me. Jesus is not just the image of God in the sense of showing us who God is. He's the image of what we were supposed to be in a perfect relationship with God. Sinless. Not separated from God at all. So He came to be with us, and here we are separated from God, and He provides a new way. Now listen to that verse again. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that's Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, that's Christ. Christ came and provided a new beginning. A new way. A new reality in this world. A way that in Him we don't have to be under sin. We don't have to be destined to death. We can be restored to that right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 continues this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And the new is here. Think about that. You know, when we walked through Revelation over the course of the year, and we walked up to the end of Revelation, and one of the things we looked at is in the last chapters of Revelation, there is a lot of language of the recovery of the Garden of Eden. God's purposes for Adam and Eve when he created them in the garden to be with him are never lost. That's exactly where all of history ends up. We will be with him forever. And the way that happens is through Christ and the new creation. All of God's purposes are recovered in Christ. All of them. He is our great Savior. All this idea of what God created us to be, everything that was lost when Adam and Eve fell into sin, all of it is recovered in Christ. There's a band that a couple of years ago, it's probably longer than that now, there's a band by the name of Switchfoot. You may never have heard of it. They had a, a song called A New Way to Be Human. What a great title. And the point of the song was that Christ came and he gave us a new way to be human. We don't have to be lost in our sin. We can be in Christ in a perfect relationship with God. Not only did Jesus come to die for us and to rise from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe, but his life shows us what it looks like to live in that relationship with God. Turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. This is a longer passage. I didn't want to put it on the slides. Philippians chapter 2. In the New Testament, one of those smaller letters kind of in the middle of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. I want to read for you verses 1 through 11. And I want you to listen for how Paul takes who Christ is and what he has done. And he uses that as a standard to explain to us what our lives should look like in Christ. Listen for the differences, things that are so different from the ways of this world. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and what he's saying there is, look, if you're a Christian, if you're truly saved by Christ, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in, of, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it mean to be a Christian? What should our lives look like? We need to start by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God who is with us, the Son of God who left the glory of heaven, all the recognition of the angels, and he was born in a manger where people looked at him and said, wow, cute baby. They didn't know. If it wasn't for the angels, we sing, hark, the herald angels sing. What's a herald? It's somebody who proclaims something. A herald was somebody who would announce the presence of a king or announce somebody coming into the presence of the king. And the angels went to the shepherds. The stinky, lowly, outcast shepherds. And they said, guys, guess what? The king has come. And it's through faith that we look at that baby in the manger and we say, Emmanuel, God with us, we have a savior. It's through faith in our lives that we live out, that we have a new life. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you today, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear this. There's no room for pride in the Christian life. No room for pride in the Christian life. It is absolutely absurd to think of the idea of an arrogant Christian. It is absurd. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the greatest act of humility ever possible. And Paul holds that up and he says, if this is who your Savior is, you are to be like Him. Live in humility. Unfortunately, the news is often filled with Christian leaders who struggle, stumble, hurt other people, and often fall into sin. Unfortunately, our lives are filled with Friends and family members that have struggled with other people who say they are Christians and yet they act so arrogant and they beat people up. We need to look to Jesus Christ. If he was willing to be born as a baby in the manger, live among us, die on a cross in our place, who are we to stand up and to say that we're the best thing ever? We are to come and point people to Jesus Christ and to him alone. Look, this world may want to replace Christ with St. Nick. And they invent all sorts of clever ways to do that. 
But if the stories are true, and again, I hope they are, St. Nick would have none of it. Not at all. I think he would personally be incredibly offended at what we have done to somehow remember him. Because Christmas and our lives and our worlds and our very existence is all about Jesus Christ. All of it. That's what makes salvation so great. God came to be born among us, to live among us, to die in our place, to take our sins upon himself and die. He took the punishment. And then he rose from the grave, promising a new life, eternal life, a new creation for all who believe. This Christmas, I want to ask you, is that what you believe? Is that the baby you see in the manger? Because if we're not looking at the manger and looking forward to the cross and then to the empty tomb, if we don't keep Christmas and Eve so intimately intertwined, we're missing the point. Let alone if we make Christmas just about trees and gifts and some jolly guy in a sleigh. It's all about Christ. We started this series saying there's so much about salvation that is simple enough for a child. Children understand a baby being born in a manger. They get that. They understand somebody living among us. I think they even understand somebody dying in our place. They even can understand somebody rising from the dead, promising eternal life. Kids can get that. Sometimes I think it's adults that really struggle with it. Because we've lost the wonder that I think we were created with in the first place. And we've replaced it with so many other things. But you know, as Christians, I hope we can go deeper than that even. That we can go to a salvation that is about a new reality, a new heaven, a new earth, a new way to be human, a new way to be alive in Jesus Christ. And we wake up every day not just saying, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but to wake up saying, I'm an ambassador of a new reality. How's that going to change how I live today? What are people going to see in my life? Are they going to see Christ? Or are they just going to see me? Because people sure need to see a whole lot of Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is a new beginning. A way to recover who we were made to be. The only way to recover. This truth has changed all of history. And it can change your life as it has changed so many others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for being Emmanuel, God, with us. That you sent your Son on that day so long ago to be born in such simple, humble circumstances. To leave the glories of heaven with all of the heavenly hosts bowing down in worship before him and to be born into a, a feeding trough with straw, into a poor home, to live among the, among the meek and the lowly, to struggle, to be an outcast. And he did it for us. God, forgive us for the many creative ways we have come up with to replace Christ in Christmas. And I pray as believers today, we would fight with everything within us to recover that this is all about Jesus Christ. And God, I don't think that we should go around hitting people in their face. 
But I do think that we should make sure with everything in us, we are fighting for our own hearts to make sure nothing replaces Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and at the center of our church and of our families so that the world may see that we have a Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing Silent Night. We'll sing this again on Christmas Eve as we light the candles.
Hello. There we go. Here at Orchard, uh, from time to time, we get to welcome people into membership at our church. And, and all it is is a commitment to a local body of believers. Uh, we believe that there's many godly churches in the area. We are not the end-all, be-all of churches. We're not trying to grow our church. We're trying to grow the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And yet I do believe that something special happens when believers come together as a local body and say, together we're going to work in this place. And so what we do from time to time, if somebody says, yes, I'm committed to Orchard as my church home, is that we welcome them into membership. And a lot of times people will say, Pastor Dave, I don't see membership in the Bible. I think that's because they didn't need it. They understood commitment. They understood family. They understood, I think, way better than we do, having to leave a lot of things behind to gather together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I praise God that it's not like that for us today in the sense of we're not immediately persecuted often. And yet I do think there's something special about committing together. And so today we're here to welcome Lynn O'Lear and Dominic and Nikki Pagani into membership. Uh, We require baptism for membership. You don't have to be baptized here, but at some point in your life, you need to have made a public declaration of your faith, and the way to do that in Scripture so often is through baptism. And so it is a joy to be able to welcome Lynn after her baptism into membership. Dominic and Nikki have been baptized elsewhere, and we've had a great chance getting to know them. And so guys, I have a couple questions for you today. Having been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, and having publicly declared this through your baptism, do you commit together with the members of Orchard Community Church to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God? Do you commit to doing this in your personal life by growing in your knowledge of God's word and seeking to live a holy life? Do you commit to doing this together with all the members of Orchard Community Church by working for unity, faithfully giving of your time, talents, and resources, supporting the leadership of the church, and being accountable to the other members? And do you commit to help others to know and follow Jesus Christ by living as missionaries for the gospel in every situation of your life? I'm going to ask if you're here and you're a member of Orchard Community Church, if you would please stand. Because for us, membership is a two-way, in fact, a three-way commitment. It is them making a commitment to the church, but it is us as a church making a commitment to them. So I now ask you, members of Orchard Community Church, do you welcome these people into membership here at Orchard Community Church? And by doing so, commit to pray for, encourage, support, and serve together with them to carry out the mission of Orchard Community Church, to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ, through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. If so, say we do. Dan's now going to read a commitment on behalf of the leadership of the church. On behalf of the leadership of Orchard Community Church, we commit to you that we will lead the church according to the word of God, seek to live our lives as an example of a faithful follower of Christ, and we will shepherd you by helping you to grow in your relationship with God through the faithful preaching and teaching of God's Word, by supporting and encouraging you whenever possible, and by lovingly holding you accountable through discipline if necessary for God's glory, for your good, and for the good of the church, and by being accountable to you for our faithfulness to this commitment. 
Please join with me in welcoming Dominic and Nikki Pagani and Lynn O'Lear into membership at Orchard Community Church. There you go, a little something to remember us by there. Well, I hope you get a chance to talk to them, get to know them better. Many of you have signed up for the Dinner for Eight groups, and it's a chance to get to know people in the church. Uh, if you didn't get a chance, we'll be doing those again, starting up in, uh, well, sign-ups in January. Groups will start up, nope, sign-ups in February. Thank you. <laughs> my other secretary, my wife. Uh, yeah, and so they're just a great way to get to know some people. If you don't understand membership, you have questions about this, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Uh, but we believe that something special comes when we join together. And for us as a church, being a member means we're giving you authority over the church. You have a say, a vote in very important matters of this church. So we take this serious. The deacons have met with them. They have interviewed them to make sure they are followers of Jesus Christ because we don't want to give somebody authority over this church who has not accepted Christ as their Savior. We want to know that they understand who we are as a church and what we believe God is leading us to do. And so we've talked a lot about that, and our core values and our mission statement are out in the foyer. You can check that out. Uh, I think the membership covenant is out there as well, so you can check that out as well. Let's stand together, and let me pray over us as we leave this place. Heavenly Father, this week is Christmas, the day we have set aside to celebrate our Savior's birth. God, may it be more than just Christmas morning. May it be Christmas Eve and the day after that, the day after that, and after that, and every single day, Father. May we live, may we wake up every morning saying, we have a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. We are saved by the power of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.